we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson here on RCST. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, coming up in about 35 minutes from right now. We are also going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty at 440, uh, coming up later on in the 4 o'clock hour here. The wait is over. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. You can get Kansas right now. I've seen some of the money is coming in on Duke of late for the betting odds. So maybe the way to play this is let some money come in on Duke, maybe hope that the line drops to, I don't know, seven and a half, something like that. And get Kansas at a better number. The over/under has also jumped a, cu- a couple points. I think it was What's like it at now? sixty-four, and I think it's at like sixty-six and it's a high half. High number. Okay, his offense has shown the affinity to do it. That is a very high number. Sixty-six and a half is what I last saw. I think. So I mean, you're looking at a, gosh, what like forty-two to twenty-eight game, and uh, you're yeah. only four points over. I don't know. That's a lot of points. <laughs> last year, you would have hit the over. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. How about this? So uh, this came out from, I, I saw Jordan Gusky tweeted this out. Um, among all the conversation about the size of the crowd for the KU game, about 10,000 tickets have been sold just since the Houston game ended. So add on whatever the, the crowd that already had a ticket, whatever the crowd of season ticket holders, 10,000 extra people. And that's already on, we're, we're on Tuesday. There's still four more days to sell tickets, or I guess three more full days to sell tickets here for the game. And they're already around 40,000 people right now, or at least 40,000 tickets, right? You, you never know. Um, somebody could have a season ticket and, and not be able to go to the game, right? Yeah. But they're around 40,000 right now and heading toward a full stadium. Well, I think about it. 10,000, that's almost 25% of the state. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's a lot of people that are excited about KU football, as they should be. If if KU were to get upset by Duke, but it's a close game, so like they, we're still at the end of the day looking at the big picture and saying, oh, they're three and one, and uh, you know it's it's obviously been more good than bad. Um, do you think? Because let's say they do sell out the Duke game, but then they do lose it. Do you think it'd be a sellout again the next week against Iowa State? Yeah, maybe. 
I think I don't know. It's it's because like obviously we've had situations like in the past where KU wins a game or two, suddenly there's forty thousand people, but then they get blown out or whatever, and then it's back down straight down to you know. I think I think the average attendance last year was like twenty two thousand, twenty three thousand, something like that. So as long as it's not a blowout, I, you shouldn't see that happen again this year. But I, I don't know that it would be a sellout for the Iowa State game. But I think you could I think you could still expect like forty thousand probably for Iowa. Assuming like if it's a really close game, really competitive game, you could probably assume at least forty thousand. Big twelve opener, Big Twelve home opener. It's homecoming, I think, for Iowa State also. So. I, I think it would you would still, like I said, barring a, uh, and again, we've had this discussion, but there's there's we've had this discussion of like well, but well, but right for K football and like there's always the question of is there going to be just a total collapse at some point? We're beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're definitely beyond that. So now I, I think the discussion for the Duke game would be, if it's a close game and they lose, I think you're still going to see forty thousand for Iowa State. I I'm kind of thinking it's going to be a sellout for both because even like if if. You have lost momentum at that point. Okay, but the Iowa State game, maybe you get extra people interested because it is homecoming and because also it's a 230 game as opposed to this being 11. So, And presumably Iowa State is going to bring more fans than Duke. Yes, say. that too. That's a good thing to point out. Um, so I, I, I think you're looking at the next two being sellouts. And if you win one of these next two, assumedly the Duke game, and then you lose close to Iowa State or you beat Iowa State, you're Maybe looking Selling at a third straight with TCU, yeah, right? So TCU for sure. That's super exciting with with the momentum that's kind of being had there. And, and clearly you have an opportunity to do something here. I, I look at the last time the stadium was going to be this full. It was the Kansas-Kansas State game in, yep. I want to say, 2019. Yep. And it was played in Lawrence. KU yep. had, um, I forget if it was the week after or two weeks after of the Texas yeah, they just beaten somebody because that was part of the reason how it sold. Yeah, they maybe sold they out. beat like who did they beat that year? I don't know. They they almost beat Texas, and then there was another game in there where you're right. Uh, they did beat somebody. Was it the Texas Tech game? Uh, I think that's what okay. it was. Yeah, yeah. They they almost beat Texas. They beat Texas Tech at home. Yeah, it was Texas Tech. Okay, they they, they almost beat Texas. They beat Texas Tech on the crazy. The guy blocked the field goal, yep. recovered it, they kicked it, and they won the game. And then K-State at home was the very next week. Yeah. And they got blown out. And by the way, that's another reason to be impressed with this 3-0 start. The fact that you point to a lot of KU's most recent victories, especially over Power 5 teams, especially over teams that um, aren't FCS teams just in general, like even past the, the Power 5 look of things. And most of their wins have come with like one of two things. It's either the other team has like an insane turnover night, like the Texas win in Lawrence in 2016. I think they had six turnovers. Yeah, they, they fumbled four or five times. Yeah, yep. or it's some weird fluky thing happened. The Texas Tech game. The <laughs> remember the TCU butt fumble game where the TCU player ran into his own offensive lineman, fumbled the ball you know, on a goal to go situation. Like that's not happening as part of these wins for KU. Yeah. They're just beating the opposition. But I digress. Yeah, I, I was actually oh, on, yeah. I was actually on the broadcast for <laughs> KJHK, the student radio station for KU for the Texas Tech KU game. Mm-hmm. And that that I don't I even today I don't even understand how that happened. <laughs> like how does that even the guy so if weird. you fall down the game you win the game. And he just tried to yeah, it, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, no, that's a great point. Like you said, I mean KU's past Power 5 Big 12 wins have needed something crazy to happen. Mm-hmm. And against West Virginia, they didn't really need anything too crazy to happen. I mean, they got the pick six, I guess, but, you know, whatever. And then against Houston, they dominated. 
Yeah. So like that's that's a positive. But anyway, I digress with the with the whole point here. The the last time that you were able to have that much of crowd momentum and really fill out the stadium was that Kansas State game. And this will obviously be different than that because if you were at that game, you, you definitely knew that there was a lot of Kansas State fans in, at that game to help you fill out that crowd, right? Yeah, depending on who you ask, more or less. Yeah. See, I wouldn't have gone that far, but it, like clearly I don't know. I it was I it mean, was yeah. There was definitely not was more notice- than sixty percent of the crowd. Ku, it, like, it was it was noticeable. Yes, it was very noticeable. Um, but you filled it out. This one will be like basically mostly by yourself because Duke yeah, ain't again, filling it's, much it's Duke, out, right? Exactly. Yeah, like if you sell out Iowa State, like Iowa State, they travel pretty well. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty loyal fan base, and they'll it's bring- only what three hour drive, yeah, something yeah. like that. They'll, they'll bring people, but yeah. like if you're you're right, if you're selling out Duke, it's it's pretty much all it's your own accord. Yeah, and so that's impressive to begin with. It also, though, that Kansas State game, if you would remember, there was all that momentum and positive talk about KU. Like, are they finally turning a corner here? And then they laid an egg. Yes. They couldn't do anything offensively in that game. Um, I remember hearing stories about Kansas State. Like, the weeks, not the week, the weeks leading up to that game were tr- doing everything in their power to get any tape that they could on Brent Deerman tape. So much so that they asked some of the different local, like, NAIA schools for tape when he was at, uh, I forget if it was Bethel, is where he he got his startup at at the NAIA level. And they just basically shut down the Kansas offense. KU in that game had 241 total yards. They averaged 2.4 yards per carry. They were held to 10 points, and seven of it was like a late score in the game. Yeah, you know, was, yeah I was there. It was nothing. Yeah. It was nothing. K-State doubled up the yardage in the game. That's the other thing. Like, K-State ran all over Kansas. They ran but for see, 342 yards. To, to circle back to the point that, that mm-hmm. we're making is like, yeah, exactly. Like, in the past, a couple things. Number one, it's obvious that KU fans want to support KU football, right? But in the past... Every time there's been some momentum for KU and they've had a big home game and there's been a, a big crowd, it's been you know a complete a complete uh, disaster, right, for KU. And <laughs> again, that that you assume that's not going to happen against Duke, but this is this is their chance. I mean, if if they really perform well against Duke, you're going to have a strong contingent of KU fans for the rest of the home games for the year, pretty much. I think regardless of what happens, right. Because you've in the past you've had a lot of KU fans that will absolutely support K football, but they just haven't had a reason to, right? I mean, like, there's just not been a lot to get excited about, and when there has been, you've had your hopes instantly crushed, i.e., KU K State 2019. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so th- that's why you're going to see such a big crowd for the Duke game, and that's why it's very, very exciting. And and again, this is KU's opportunity to to put a stamp on officially being. On the net, on a on the on a bigger stage, yeah, uh, of college football, and that's what it is. Like, it's not that the loss to Kansas State when you did have that momentum was like a big deal, and that it was a horrible loss. Like, you were you were underdogs in that game. I forget what the line was, but you were probably double digit underdogs in yeah. that game. Yeah, but it was it was a disappointment in the fact that you weren't able to keep it competitive and keep the fan base engaged and build on the momentum. This one's a little different because it's a game that you're favored to win to where yeah. it's not just, Hey, can you be competitive here? It is like, can you get a win here? But for that reason, I, I think that, I don't know, like, is this the most pressure that and maybe the players and coaches don't feel it nor should they, because 
if you're Kansas, you should still play the chip on your shoulder card. But I think from the exterior, it almost feels like to me that there would be more pressure on KU to win this game than maybe any game since Mark Mangino. Like if you wanna if you wanna add some of the FCS games in of coaches who just were on the hot win. seat, right? Yes, they needed, needed to win. win. Yeah. Like, sure, I I can be on board with that because if you lose that game, you're fired. You lose your job, whatever. <laughs> but if we if we let's let's take out the FCS games and and just look at like Power Five games. Most of the time, when KU's playing a non FCS opponent, they're not favored. So it's like, yes, we'd love you to be competitive. Yes, we'd love you to win. If you could do that, it'd be great to keep the momentum forward or to make it feel like we're turning a corner. But at the end of the day, if you lose and you're competitive, we can still say, okay, but you know that was progress, right? Yeah. With this being eight, nine, ten point favorites, whatever it's going to finalize at, it could be a situation where no, if you have a competitive loss, it actually like we actually will have crossed over to the no, no moral victories here, right? And so. I think that because of how much momentum you can provide, how this is probably going to be your first like true sellout, I guess, in, in a long time, because of the fact that this also would give you an opportunity to get college game day next week, like it maybe not <laughs> wouldn't be their first choice. I don't know. It might. Yeah. It might not. Um, I don't know how important that is. But, no, you know, but it, it, it at least gives you a chance at of, it. You know, for sure. For sure. Uh, it possibly gets you closer to being or maybe even gets you ranked. I don't know. It gets you closer to making a bowl game. It makes you feel like making a bowl game is more attainable, and maybe even it makes you feel like there is more to the season than just getting bowl eligible. There is so much at stake in this game for KU, which is all great. We talk about basketball all the time. Like, uh, what is it, pressure builds diamonds or whatever? Yeah. No pressure, that's, no that's great. Exactly. So you want the pressure. You want that external stuff coming out. But this is the first time that we've really seen that with uh, to where a KU game actually has, like, real consequences if they even lose in a competitive loss. Yeah, because even that K-State 2019 game, I don't think KU fans were going into that game expecting to win. They were just go, they were just excited coming off a big win against Texas Tech. Like it was just they were just hoping for a competitive game, right? I don't think K I don't think reasonable KU fans were going into that game expecting to win. But yes, you're right. This Duke game, going into it expecting to win. And I mean think about it. Even before this season, this was an expect to win game. And then you go on the road and win against West Virginia and Houston. So now it's definitely an expect to win game, right? And and I think that's that's a good point. There is a lot of pressure, but I don't feel like it's going to really change much. Like the I think one of the best things about Lance Leipold that we've seen so far over this, over since he's taken over is the guy is just the definition of consistent. He's the definition of this is the message. This is what we're doing. No matter what the situation is, no matter whether we lose by right, like what's what's the one thing he's always said is no matter what the score is, we're gonna continue to coach our players, right? That's what he said. That's what he said a number of times is no matter what, no matter what's happening, we're gonna continue to coach. Like he's been the definition of this is what we are, this is what we're gonna do, regardless of who we're playing, regardless of the stage, regardless of anything like that. Now, obviously, this is the biggest stage they're gonna be playing on probably since Lance Leipold's come to KU, but the the point still stands. Like I I don't feel like that's going to affect the team that much just because. We've had almost two years of Lance Leipold saying, stay in the course. This is, this is how things are going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's weird being in this spot. Because no, I, it definitely is. No, the, the past three weeks have been like, yes, just extremely bizarre. No, you feel like you're you're in the twilight zone. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, What's going exactly. on here? I, and, and again, I, I may, maybe most KU fans don't feel it now, but I'm sure 
after West Virginia and even after Houston, they're probably still feeling this sense of like we discussed earlier, which is the, the yeah, great, yeah, yeah, but yeah, when 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 are we gonna have that setback? When are we gonna collapse? When are we gonna you know that I'm sure that's that was certainly in the minds of KU fans probably earlier in the season. I don't know if it's still there as much now. I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, how far do you have to get before you shake that feeling? You know, we're talking about we're talking about almost a dozen years of that of that thought dominating the front of your mind for in regards to KU football. So how long does it take for you to shake that as a KU fan? But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I wonder if this is the one because I guess theoretically, if you win this game, it's like the rest of time you're technically playing with house money. Because it'd be your most wins since 2009 or whatever. Also, this is like the one. You might be favored in another game. Who knows? You might be favored if one of these other Big 12 you teams could be favored against, to struggle. You could yeah. be favored against CCU. You could. You could be favored against CCU. You could be favored against, like, what if Iowa State gets blown out by Baylor and you blow out Duke? You could be favored maybe in the Texas Tech road game. So there's other spots KU could be favored. But if they are favored, it'll be a short line. And it's not a guarantee. This is the one that you're like for sure favored and you're favored by a pretty good amount of points here that like this is the one that if you are going to rely on those yeah buts, it is the one that you point to and you go, well, this would be classic Kansas. They've gotten my hopes up. They're 3-0. They've looked so good (laughs) against these other teams. And now we're playing a Duke team that, yeah, they're 3-0, but they haven't really played anyone and we're eight and a half, nine point favorites, and that's the one we lose to come crashing back down into earth. So I think, I think if you win this one, you, I, you, are you are you shaking that thought? If you win this, game? I think so. And, and like I said, when they won the Houston game, I said this yesterday uh, that that did kind of feel like the win to make you shake those yeah butts. Yeah. There still is, just happens to be that piece in the back of your mind. Even Again, how long does it take? How many wins does it take to get rid of 12 years? Like you're that. telling yourself, uh, but I, I think this is the one because even if you don't get to six wins, which at this point feels like it's just right there and it would be disappointing if you didn't get there, but even if you don't get there, you can at least say, okay, but we lost to, to teams who are better than us or who were supposed to beat us or were those favorites. This is the one that that doesn't really apply for. And because of that, because of the combination of all those things I said earlier, too, with how much a win could do for you here and yep. continue that path toward making a bowl game or keeping the program going forward, it's weird to say this about a KU football game to where if they would lose, it would feel like a big disappointment. Yes, it definitely would. And we haven't had that. We've like, had disappointments, but not in this no, fashion. No, not at all. Usually it's, you know, if... Usually it's, oh, let's keep it close, and then we get blown out, and it's disappointing in that sense, but it's like... Yep. Yeah. No, like, I get what you mean. Like the, like last year, the, the loss at TCU, the loss at West Virginia at home. You lost by one score both games. is like, okay, that, you know, we wish we would have won, but moral victory, that's nice. You do that against Duke... That ain't nope. going to be the talk. No moral victory. It's going to be squandered an opportunity. No moral victory. So, again, just shifting the conversation of what we actually talk about here with KU football. It's it's become so different uh, nowadays. We've got some Lance Leipold audio to share with you throughout the show, including coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Depend on it. That time on a Tuesday, we talk with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt, with the way that things have gone, I've, I've kind of had trouble figuring out what the right way to talk about this team, this program is now, because you have the last decade plus, 
going on, but clearly this team, like if if this was another team where they were some years good, some years bad, and they had this start and they beat down Houston, they're three and zero. They're thinking, yeah, we got a pretty good football team, and I think this Kansas football team is pretty good too. But it's just it, you can't shake that stuff out of your mind. Can, can you sense a difference now in things with the players, with the team, with the coaches, whoever? in going from kind of just a maybe cool story to now, this is like almost the expectation of things that we're just going to be good. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I, I mean, I think it's fair, too. You know, like there's a bunch of guys on this roster that um, know about the past but maybe weren't a part of it. Um, and there's a lot of guys who are, on, who are on this roster who have been here for those lean times and, you know, been a part of that, but also maybe weren't playing huge roles in that. And, and so I think each year that you, that you get beyond it, um, it becomes a little easier to expect that these guys do think this is business as usual and can talk about, you know, winning more than three games, um, as the goal and, and talk about, you know, obviously going to a bowl and things like that. So it, it, I think it's probably every Kansas fan's current, you know, reality that there is a little bit of a, what the heck's going on here? And when is it going to change? And am I going to get duped by this? You know, are my, are my hopes going to get high and I'm going to fall in love with this team and then they're going to lose four straight games without scoring a point or something like that. You know, I think that's, that's, sort of a PTSD thing, right? Like it's natural for people to still feel that way and be a little bit guarded. But from what I can tell, um, you know, I don't know the percentage on this or whatever, but, but I think the majority of fans are just, let's go jump on the, jump on the road and have some fun with this team and enjoy it. Because as they've seen when they've had good teams in the past, you don't know how long it's going to last. You, you, you can't take it for granted. You don't, necessarily know when it's going to come again so why waste your time worrying about is this real or what's going to happen or or how's this going to be different or how's it going to change or is the rug going to get pulled out from underneath me you know don't waste your time on that stuff enjoy it they're three and oh they're getting votes in the polls um you know take that and, and see what happens tomorrow and and then deal with that because Kansas fans you know if if nothing else they've they've learned over the last decade or so how to how to kind of deal with things, right? And and uh, especially football fans. So I, I think that there's enough of a of a I guess sense that this is real and that this is actually something that that can be sustained. And I think a lot of that is credit to Lance Leipold, but a lot of that is credit to these kids for you know showing that they believe it. And I think that that's probably the best advice for fans right now is. Follow their lead, man. You know, I, we've seen KU players get hyped before and feel like this is going to be different and all that stuff, but very few of them have been able to go out there and back it up. These guys are backing it up. And so, yeah, just follow their lead and, and let's see where this whole thing goes because, um, you know, this is a monster, monster game on, on uh, Saturday for a lot of reasons, uh, the biggest of which is it gives this program a chance to do something and get to four wins that has not happened in a long, long, long time. And that's been sort of the, the ceiling and the benchmark that you measure everything by. And at this point, if they can blast through that four weeks into a season, I think you take the lid off then and everything's just uh, brand new and different and, and you embrace it and don't worry about the past anymore. Well, this next question is going to run a little counter counterintuitive to, to some of the stuff you were just saying about 
basically kind of just enjoying the moment. But uh, with how things have begun here, like how how do you, how do we, how should we properly kind of calibrate what the proper expectations should be for this team moving forward this season? Yeah, that's a tougher question to answer for sure. Um, because any other team that starts out three and zero, you you would expect is you know in the bowl conversation, and obviously this group is um, you know being put in in those in those conversations right now. It's it's so early, and it's just so hard to be like, well, we're we're in, you know it's like it's like the uh, the equivalent of Lenardi's uh, bracketology in you know, December, it's like, doesn't matter or, or even worse, like July, right. He does it all year. So it's the equivalent of that in some ways, but at the same time, um, I don't know, man, you know, you, you know, their schedule's tough still, you know, the, the toughest games are still ahead. Um, but they've also won two pretty good games and both on the road. And I, I don't necessarily think the big 12 has been setting the world on fire. So I would think that there's some real possibilities for wins from this point on. So, you know, the expectation might be continued improvement, competitiveness, to be in games, to, to put forth good efforts, win or lose, because you're not going to, you know, teams put a good effort on the field and lose, right? I mean, you don't win every game every time you play well. Sometimes the other team just plays better. And, and so so that has to be a part of the equation, and you have to remember that that's a possibility. But I, I don't see why people wouldn't expect them to go win at least a couple more games. Um, I think it was you, wasn't it, that talked about, maybe it wasn't you, but somebody talked about the, the three in a row at home right now. I mean, when have you ever seen a Kansas football program have this much momentum and then the opportunity to do something about it on their turf three weeks in a row? I mean, if they win this one, you can expect that the Iowa State atmosphere will be even bigger and better. And if they win that one, same for TCU the week after. So I think the expectation setting is probably um, whatever you're comfortable with. But at the same time, I think anything's fair. And I think you could probably take it at a uh, let's just set expectations week by week. And, and I thought Lance kind of mentioned that today. I, I asked him, you know, if he if he ever allowed himself to, to kind of look ahead before the season started and think about what being three and zero would mean coming home to play Duke. And, you know, of course he didn't. Um, I mean, he, it's human nature that he may have, but it, it wasn't like a big factor for him or a big part of the preseason or anything like that you know but um when i asked him that he he basically answered by saying well you know after that west virginia game we started thinking about this this and this and this and and he didn't necessarily say three and oh four and oh what that means what that is but i think it 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 showed that that they took it uh, like every cliche goes, one week at a time, and 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 then really kind of recalibrated and set their expectations based off that. For the program, the expectations aren't changing. They're, these guys showed up in in preseason camp and believed they were going to work hard enough to be able to win every game and and go twelve and zero. And so that hasn't changed. I think the consistency is such an important part of this program right now, and and the fact that yeah, we're three and zero, but. It doesn't mean much, you know. Let's keep working, and, and these guys are wired that way. They understand it, they believe in it, they bought into that that approach, and I think that's the only way you have a chance. Um, but but yeah, there's no doubt that that fans and and people covering this thing and people watching from a distance. I, I think I think I mean Kansas is favored by almost double digits right now this week. So how do you not expect more success? Yeah, it's just, it's weird because like. 
you've already technically accomplished, if you're just basing it off the Vegas win total over and under, what could be deemed as a success. But once you get to that point, if you do it right off the bat, like clearly there needs to be more expectation there. And I, I think this goes to kind of a weird part about this Saturday's game to where like clearly if you lose on Saturday, it's to a 3-0, and at that point a 4-0 and Duke team, it wouldn't be a bad loss at all. It'd be a very excusable loss. So I don't want this question to come across like me saying that, but because of the opportunity at hand to which this is going to be a huge KU crowd, might be a sellout, you have two more of those straight home games like you were just talking about there. Um, you have that chance to get to 4-0. You have that chance to kind of be sniffing bowl eligibility. And the fact that the path to getting bowl eligible, probably you need to win this one. Like, is this the most pressure that has been on a single game that KU football has played since Mark Mangino? Yeah, that's real, right? I mean, that's, that's I was talking with somebody about that today. And, and, you know, the very idea that for three weeks, even in the opener, I mean, I think everybody knew they were going to win that game, but it was still a bunch of questions. How are they going to look? How's Jalen going to play? What's the score going to be? Is it going to be one of these South Dakota games where it's tougher than it should be? You know, there were a lot of questions, and I guess enough there to tap into sort of that underdog mentality. And um, and then, of course, in the next two games, they were underdogs, you know, significantly. So I am interested to see how they respond and how they kind of flip the script and react to being in a position where, they're favored, and people are expecting them to win. Um, I mean, having said that, though, I don't think they spend much time, you know, reading the the Vegas lines or checking the the, the DraftKings app and, and trying to see if the lines move today. You know, I, I think I think you can set that kind of stuff inside your locker room and in, on the practice field, and and if you carry yourself with the mentality that hey, nobody believes in us. You know, it, again, another cliche that a lot of teams try to tap into, but. I think this is a team that will continue to, to tap into that and believe it, and it's going to be hard to convince them otherwise. I mean, you know, th- this is a this is decade in the making where where nobody's really believed in them or had a reason to believe in them. So I do think that it will be very interesting to see how they react and how you know how they handle this. Lance said today that they've handled it pretty well, um, but but distractions are are out there and, and it's easy to get distracted. And, and, uh, that's why I think the leadership, not only as the, you know, from the coaching staff, but also for these, for these players, you know, the, the guys like Mike Nowitzki and, and, uh, even, even Devin Neal and Jalen Daniels, even though they're still kind of young, you know, they'll set the tone, Rich Miller, another one, you know, they'll set the tone for, we haven't done anything yet. Let's not get our heads too big. Let's not look forward. Let's not pretend we've made it. You know, let's go win another game and then go from there. So I think as much as there is pressure on this game, or certainly could be, um, I think this team is probably wired to handle that a little bit more and and so hungry and so eager to not just win three games but to blow the ceiling off of their expectations that i think their focus should stay pretty sharp and locked in and and uh you know i think it'll be very different than than uh what was the game i don't know two years ago three years ago um i guess it would have had to be three right where where k-state looked went looked beatable and the game was in Lawrence, and everybody was fired up, and there was a massive crowd, and, and then KU totally laid an egg, and K-State whipped them like they always do. Uh, do you remember that game, Shirley? Yep, we were talking about it in the open. 
Okay, yeah. So there you go, right? I mean, that's that's the last time we saw Kansas in a position like that or like they are now, that's what happened. And and I can vividly remember Carter Stanley being just devastated, right? He was like, we had it. We had an opportunity to give all these people a reason to support us and keep coming and have our backs, and then we did that. What a, what a bummer, you know? And, and um, so I don't think that this situation is as fragile as that one. Um, and, and it helps that they're playing Duke and not K-State, an arch rival that's a top perennial ranked team and all that. Um, but who knows? I, I mean, I have no idea how good Duke is. You don't – nobody does, right? I mean, they're 3-0. They obviously could come in here and play a great football game and win. But it's different because it's not K-State. There's not that buildup that goes into it as well. So um, I expect them to play great. I think this team is, is, has taken on the uh, mentality of its leaders, um, and, and it's kind of a, a two-part thing. I think they're, they're focused and humble and sharp and, and determined the way Lance Leipold carries himself and has been. And then I also think they're fun and free like their quarterback, Jalen Daniels. So if you can continue to follow that lead and, and, and use those two examples as sort of the tone setter for your program and your season, then I think you'll be ready and in and excited to show up for most games and put your best effort out there and see what happens. Yeah, Matt, I wanted to ask you about Lance Leipold. And really, since the time that he's been at KU, he has been the definition of consistent with his with his messaging and with his with his mentality. Do you feel like that's kind of fully seeped into the entire program now from, from top to bottom, starting with Lance Leipold? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so because I think that's the expectation, right? You know, he he he's not going to let anybody run around and make this about them or or put the team or put themselves over the team. I mean, it's it's real easy anytime somebody wants to try to do that. You know, he, he's got a heck of a, a, a stick to hit him with, and that's you guys haven't done anything in a long time and you've been here for four years or you've been here for three years or, you know, so he can, he can throw that in their face pretty easily. And, uh, I don't think he's had to. Um, and, and I, again, I think these guys are all just so hungry and they want to win so bad and they want to win for each other and they want to win for respect and they want to win for the university. And, and, uh, you know, I think that helps keep that from being necessary, but, um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that he demands and his coaches demand. And, and, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a Kansas football player right now and, and you have a good rep or you have a good game, you know, be careful how much you feel yourself over that because there'll be people there to humble you in a hurry. Um, and, and, in a good way, in a constructive way, in the right way, and 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 that's where this this the importance of this coaching staff and and these guys having done it together. It's kind of like parents, right? You know, everybody knows the deal with with uh, you know, I don't know how. Old, let's say a twelve year old kid that comes and asks their mom, you know, hey, uh, can I go do this? And mom says no. Well, then they go ask their dad, right? Like, and dad says, sure, sounds fine. And then there's a whole conflict there because the mom and the dad weren't on the same page, and now your now your kids getting this manipulative message and learning how to play both sides and all that. This football team doesn't have to worry about that. Lance Leipold, Andy Kotelnicki, uh, Coach Z, the quarterbacks coach, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator. You know they've been together, and others as well. They've been together long enough that they understand, you know, what each desires what each is going to say and do before he does it and and what the fundamental message of their program is and so there's a consistent message that you're getting in that way along with 
the idea of, hey, go out and be consistent, work hard every day, every rep, all those things. So I think that, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people thought that was a huge advantage from minute one that, that Lance was bringing in a staff that's familiar with him and he's got continuity with. Um, but it shows up years down the road. It, it doesn't just help you as you're trying to get things off the ground or trying to rebuild the thing. It, it shows up for the rest of time for as long as you're there because um, it becomes a staple of, of what your program's all about. Well, Matt, uh, before I let you go, I do have an either-or for you. More three-pointers made by Sviatoslav Mikhailuk for the New York Knicks this season or head-scratching coaching decisions by Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos this year? <laughs> what was the What's the question? I understand Svi is my choice and, and Hackett is my choice. But yeah, what, what would be question? more of? Made threes for Svi or the, those uh, what-are-you-doing decisions? Oh, I got you. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's hope Svi found a good spot, man. I think he did. I think the Knicks uh, could use some shooting, and I think um, you know he's a world-class shooter. And, and so let's hope they use him the way that, that he deserves to be used. He doesn't have to play 35 minutes a game or anything crazy, but I, I do think he should have a role, and I think he's good enough. Um to, to stick and to be a part of that thing and, and fill a need for them. So, I, you know, that alone, when you talk about 82 games in an NBA season um, and a bunch of opportunities there, we'll say, for Spee, uh, and the fact that now Hackett only has, what's he got, 15 more games in his in his inaugural season, I just think the the math works out in 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 the way that you pick Svee with this one. Um, but it's not necessarily because I have a whole lot of faith in Mr. Hackett. Um, <laughs> you know, he was really bad on Monday night, and then he kind of doubled down again in the in the uh, home opener. And it wasn't quite as I've never seen this before as that Monday night fiasco, but it was definitely a bunch of weird things that you were just like, what are you doing? And, you know, I'm sure – not everybody was like that. Most people probably weren't watching. It was the Broncos and the Texans. But, um, you know, we lived through it. He lived through it. Uh, everything that I've seen and, and heard is, is that, you know, this is a guy who's very aware of, of what's going on with him right now. And, and it's not like he's trying to pretend he's calling a great football game or trying to pretend there aren't problems. He's owning them. And I think that can help you out, too. I think that, you know, it's... It, it's unfortunate because the guy's coached two NFL games and he's, you know, been with this team and this quarterback for two games now. And so, you know, in, in the old days, maybe you'd get some time to kind of ease into things, you know, but not in 2022. You got to be, you got to be Vince Lombardi ready to roll, look like a Super Bowl winner on day one or else you're going to get ripped apart for it. Now it happens to be that he deserves to be ripped apart right now, but at the same time, I'm willing to give him a little room to grow, a little grace, and and maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll be okay. So I'll take Svee in a long-winded answer. Um, but having said that, I am super excited for Svee to be in New York. I think that's awesome. Uh, I don't know that it was a guarantee that he was going to find another NBA team, um, and uh, and there was some talk about Europe being in the mix and and the G League and things like that. So um, awesome that they found a spot and he found a team, and and uh, I hope it works out. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world and at KUSports.com. Matt, talk to you next week. All right. You guys be well. Thank you very much. All right. That's Matt Tate again. Check him out. KUSports.com and in the LJ world. One hour down, two to go. My college football playoff rankings next.
In the world of college football, where chaos reigns supreme, one man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is... Sleeping in on Saturdays, and I love college football games. You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. Oh, I love the day on Tuesday when we get to the point of my college football playoff rankings. And uh, the committee isn't brave enough to do this. They're not brave enough to release uh, a rankings this early in the season. We got to wait till like November, something like that. Not me. I'm doing it right now, baby. Cue the music. College football. Not that that's music. The wrong. That's the wrong one. The wait, where did your other music go? I only see the death. The death metal. <laughs> All right, we're just gonna go with this one. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Number eight, Georgia. They're three and zero. Georgia has been crushing everyone, but they only, I I still hang up on that week two win over Furman, didn't totally crush them. They beat up South Carolina. They got a good defense. Stetson Bennett looks awesome so far. He's been a legit Heisman candidate. The, you know, weapons that he has around him with the running backs and tight ends and receivers, he's playing with so many pros around him. Georgia is just a uh, really good football team, and they are the highest ranked SEC team. On the list, in at number eight. Nobody can accuse me of SEC bias. Number seven, James Madison. No, are not they, the, are they a new new appearance? They are a new appearance. Okay, I believe this might be their first ever appearance. Uh, named after the former president. Was he a good president? Was he a bad president? He was a good president. He was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you might get canceled for that if he did something bad. By the way. Uh, so oh. good luck with that. Now. Okay, well. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Two and zero. It, I'm, sure he did, I'm sure he did do something bad. I mean, I feel like every president has done something bad, at yep. least not on their own accord in some occasions. Sometimes it's just you happen to be in office when something bad happens. Nonetheless, yep. uh, James Madison is 2-0. Uh, so they, they do lose a little points. They're not higher on the list because they've only played two games. Some of these other teams have played three. But they are second in the country in points per game. They are first in the country in yards allowed per game. How about their quarterback? What can you tell me about their QB? Stud, right? For James Madison? Yeah. I don't even know his name. Todd Centeo. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. He is on pace for 54 touchdowns passing okay. to zero interceptions. That's pretty That's pretty good. I mean, if he continues that for the season, he's winning Heisman. I don't care that he's in the Sun Belt. 54 Sun to belt. zero. He has to win the Heisman. So right now, he's on pace to do just that. Uh, number six. Oh, by the way, James Madison plays Appalachian State this week. Yeah, there's there is no conference that gets more love from this show than the Sun Belt. We love the Sun Belt. Which, by the way, it's reflected in the in the rankings. I well, think I, I think people might might start accusing you of Sun Belt bias mm, instead of SEC bias. Maybe, uh, <laughs> but I will say this: I forgot to mention this. Teams were off the rankings. Marshall was our previous number one from yeah, the Sun Belt. Lost. Yeah, they lost to Bowling Green. Wait, which, they, were, they were number one, right? They were, so they were yeah. all the way off. Oh, man. By Number the way, one goes down. My wife brought this to my attention. Why does Bowling Green not wear the color green? I, 
couldn't tell you. <laughs> I mean, I okay. Here's another question. That's here's, like a Jerry Seinfeld joke, but it wasn't even you. a joke. It's a legit question. West, What's the deal with airplane food? What's the deal with Bowling Green? Hey, they wear orange. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Western okay. Kentucky is also in Bowling Green. There's Bowling Green, Kentucky, and there's Bowling Green, Ohio. Western Kentucky is in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mm. Bowling Green University is in Bowling Green, Ohio. I don't like that. That's a no, no. We're not allowing this. I don't like any of what this. What I understand is their name's Bowling Green. Prime opportunity for your mascot to be like, like a bowling pin, exactly, or a like bowling a ball, or like you know, yeah, or the who do you think you are? I am guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, Boot Weber. Gosh, that would be the best mascot ever. Uh, so anyway, they're off the list. That was a long way of saying Marshall's off. Georgia <laughs> yeah, Southern, tough. another Sun Belt team, was number four. They lost to UAB, so they're off the list. Well, they're, they're done. So now James Madison is the highest Sun Belt team. So I can't be accused of bias anymore. Uh, SMU also is off the list. By the way, they're number. They were number six. They lost to Maryland. Air Force was number seven, and they lost. They yeah, also, I hate Air Force. Yeah. Well, okay. Whoa. whoa let me. Not, you, Nick context. hates the troops. <laughs> out you of heard context. it here. <laughs> the football Pull team. that. <laughs> for for undisclosed reasons, I I was financially invested in uh, Wyoming Air Force, and they did not come through for mm. me. The government just sent a tracker missile on the way here. Yeah. And when you attracted yeah, we, it, they're yeah. like, oh, we're I wasn't, good. If I wasn't getting canceled for the James Madison stuff, I definitely am now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, number six. This team was number seven last week. Move up a spot. Texas, if they had more time. We mentioned this, the the quote from Steve Sarkeesian, that they didn't lose the game. They just ran out of time. If yep. they had more time, they would have won the game. So if they had more time, they'd be 3-0. They had a bit of a scare against UTSA. They fell down 17-7. Eventually tied it at halftime, and then they just kind of ran all over him in the second half. Bijan Robinson had a big run as part of the game. I think it was like their longest run or, or something like that in like hmm. half a decade or something. I'm He's, telling you, UTSA is a, they're a good team. They are. They're stingy. Almost beat and Houston. Houston beat them, and KU beat Houston. Mm-hmm. Where does that put KU? I guess we'll find out. But Texas, if they had more time, is in at number six. Number five, staying at number five, I should say. Iowa with an average offense. Okay. So Iowa is two and one on its own, but Iowa with an average offense would be uh, the best three and up by far. I have them number five. Oh, I'm not quite five. there. Okay. So like okay. an average okay. offense, by the way, because you might be wondering, okay, well, how many points is an average offense getting per game? Well, right now, if you go by the rankings, like the 62nd best offense or something is getting like 34 points per game. So it's a lot of points. It is. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. Which that's, that's way part, more yeah. than I thought it would be. I, I mean, part of that is just it's the early part of the season yeah. where a lot of teams have played FCS teams. Still some corrections involved. But right now, Iowa is averaging 13.7 points per game. So they, if they were an average offense, would be averaging 20 more points per game. They would have beaten Iowa State because they held them to 10, so they would have cleared that. Uh, instead of beating Nevada 27 nothing, they would have beat them 34 nothing, something like that. Iowa with an average offense would be 3 and 0. They'd have a great defense, they'd have an average offense, that would be enough. I was, the top I was also invested in Iowa and Nevada and Nevada did not do what they <laughs> needed to do for me. All right, number 4, Kansas. I hey, put him in. There we go. Jumping all the way to number 4. He was uh, pressured per sources, he was pressured from outside influences to put KU on the list. I mean, what you said, though, about UTSA. So UTSA hung with Texas, right? Yep. UTSA also almost almost beat Houston, Houston, but they were in a game. 
Well, Kansas crushed Houston. So Kansas clearly much better than UTSA who hung with Texas. So yep. Kansas should be ahead of Texas if they had more time. Plus, Kansas beat Texas last year, yep. uh, even though it's it's a one-year resume thing. Uh, the offense has been amazing. Also this, like if you actually are basing it off resume, Kansas has two road Power 5 wins. How many schools actually have well, that? technically Power 5. Yeah, I, I the, keep yeah jumping the gun on that. Power 5 yet, but they will be. I'm going to consider it, and winning on the road is hard. So that gives them a boost. Kansas in at number four. Number three is our number three team from last week. That would be Minnesota. They are 3-0. and They just beat down Colorado, who low-key might be the worst Power 5 team. <laughs> Minnesota's averaging 49.7 points per game. They are giving up 5.7. That's pretty good. I don't know if you saw, but uh, PFF, or, yeah, PFF has like their individual player rankings. By grade-wise... Minnesota has like the number one quarterback, running back, wow. defensive end, cornerback. They have they have like there's like eight there's like eight different positions in which Minnesota has the highest rated player in the country. They've been really good. I think at this point you have to say they are the favorite to win that West Division. Wisconsin lost to Washington State. We had uh, Iowa losing to Iowa State and clearly not having a good enough offense. I don't know. I forget which division Nebraska's in, but uh, they yeah, okay. just haven't been very good. So they have. So Minnesota has the highest-rated quarterback, Tanner Morgan, mm-hmm. highest-rated running back, highest-rated tight end, and highest-rated defensive back, all by PFF. Wow. Well, Mo Ibrahim, or Ibrahim, who is the running back there, he's got to be a dark horse Heisman contender at this point. I don't know what his odds are going off at. I'm going to check on that because I might sprinkle something on there. Because like I just said, if you look at the Big Ten West, it's wide open. Yeah. Minnesota legitimately sucks. could go like 10-2 and two, yep. getting to beat up on some of these teams who, like, I don't know, there might not be another ranked team the, the way they run through the division. And so if Minnesota goes like 10-2 and two, and they make the Big Ten title game, like clearly they'll have a lot of national appeal about them. Mo Ibrahim right now is on pace for over 1,850 rushing yards and 28 rushing touchdowns. He couldn't get invited to New York. Number two, though, is Florida State. They were number two last week. 3-0, they get a road win over Louisville. Yes, it was close. Yes, it was a little closer than you would have liked, but they did it with a backup quarterback. Starter got injured, backup comes in, they find a way to win the game. Plus, Louisville's only other loss was to Syracuse, and Syracuse was almost ranked on this thing. Syracuse has been a wagon. They're 3-0. <laughs> yeah, Syracuse might be feeling kind of snubbed right now, actually, by the committee. Honorable mention. But number <laughs> one, it's a new number one, our number one last week loss. We mentioned that with Marshall. This team wasn't even ranked last week. This team is in at number one. And its name, his name, is Nick Springer. In at number one. Wait, what? People are already asking, is the committee tainted? What's going on here? Because Nick went to grad school, broadcasted at UIW. They are 3-0 okay, yep. right now, yep. including a road win over Nevada. And they beat Southern Illinois, who at the time was the ninth-ranked FCS team. Washington State, where the <laughs> UIW quarterback was, yep. and now their coach is the offensive coordinator. Yep. Washington State is 3-0, including a big road win against Wisconsin. Last week destroyed Colorado State. Hey, if, if you're interested in a fun fact about Washington State, actually, mm-hmm. Washington State, I, I'm pretty sure, is the first in the history of the AP poll or whatever. They're the first team to go 3-0, to start the season 3-0, with a top 20 road win and not receive a single vote. Mm, disrespected. They're not receiving a single vote. They should. I think they play Oregon this week. They definitely will if they beat them. Um, and then we also mentioned KU. They're in at number four. That's Nick's undergrad. Yep. That's Nick's alma yeah. mater. 
Yeah. So the team is a bit of good start to the football season for me. It has. Nick, you are like college football's <laughs> King Midas. Everything you touch <laughs> turns undefeated. So you are basically nine and zero, oh, and yeah. as great as some of these other teams' resumes are, not nine and zero. Oh. Exactly. You're going to take three and zero, oh, or you're going to take nine and zero. Oh. It's three times the amount of games. You have three times the amount of chances to lose. You're taking nine and zero. Oh. Nick, congratulations. You're in at number one. Your first Thank ever you. appearance. Thank you. Yeah, so Cameron Ward was the quarterback at UIW. He goes to Washington State. Eric Morris was the head coach at UIW. He goes to Washington State. They're 3-0. They're looking really good. And then, yes, uh, small, little-known school, Incarnate Word, in San Antonio, Texas, are the fifth-ranked team in the FCS polls right now, I believe. And they're looking really good, obviously. So that's pretty exciting. And obviously, mm. KU, of course, as well. So it's been, it's been a good, good start to the season for me. Well, I think the phone's ringing. Nebraska's calling, and they're <laughs> going to see if they can bring Nick aboard. If they've got a blank check, I'm signing. <laughs> this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's my college football playoff rankings. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Some Big 12 talk next. Then we'll chat with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports after that. This is RCST. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Here on KLWN and streaming at KLWN.com. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports on the show. So, Kevin, let's let's just start right here. Something we were just talking about. Can you make a real argument that KU is the best team in the Sunflower State? Or do you still need to see a lot more before you can go there? You know, I still need to see more. I, I do think, you know, there are things about Kansas that would make you optimistic. I think at the same time. There are things about Kansas State that would make you pessimistic, and I believe you know it starts with the the Kansas defense, and it starts with the the Kansas State offense. You know, it was I thought it was very interesting Chris Kleiman's comments today, where he talked about the need to be more aggressive, and I thought you know a lot of people might take that as well from a play calling standpoint. They need to be more aggressive, but I'll be honest with you, Derek. I thought there were plays to be had and he kind of referenced that in his press conference it was that you know martinez wasn't necessarily taking those plays and i i want to make a, a real quick you know seg into to basketball you remember when malik newman came to kansas and, and kind of everybody was talking about well he's just a real selfish like shot hungry guy and all this stuff and then you know, he he got there in the first few games that, that he played after sitting at the transfer season. He didn't really take the shot that or be as aggressive on offense as he needed to be. And Bill Self, I think, even said we had to kind of have the conversation like this is what we brought you in to be. I think with Martinez, so many people, when they looked at Kansas State as a dark horse contender, they said if Martinez doesn't turn the ball over – the way he did at Nebraska. And if you watched him against Tulane, he didn't put the ball at risk. But the downside of that is he didn't put the ball at risk. He didn't put it into spots where maybe they could have made big plays. They could have moved the football. He was too conservative. And so I think the big thing that I need to see from Kansas State moving forward is I really want to see – if Martinez kind of takes that cue and if he looks a little bit more like, hey, this guy's going to take some chances, or if it's going to be more like what we saw in the Tulane game, and quite frankly, if, if he winds up being that conservative, you know, over the course of the whole season, 
I think that's where maybe you start to feel like, okay, Kansas is maybe going to have a shot here because Kansas State's not going to run away and hide offensively. I'm not saying it yet, but what would Kansas <laughs> have to get to record-wise to start the season for you to think they could contend to make the Big 12 title game? Oh, my gosh. I, I mean... Like, if they're 6-0? There, 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 there is a legitimate chance. I'm glad you brought that number up. There is a legitimate chance as we sit here today, and I, I can't believe I'm saying it, based on preseason expectations, what we thought, et cetera, Kansas has a chance to start 6-0. and You know, we don't really know a lot about TCU. We don't know a ton about Iowa State, except Iowa State's defense looks really good. We aren't necessarily sure about that offense. They put up 10 in that win over Iowa. And so when, when you look at Iowa State and TCU, you know, both of which come to Lawrence after the Duke game, you're, you're looking at all of a sudden, hey, maybe 6-0 and is a possibility. And I think that while you would still have the biggest games, quote-unquote, in the Big 12 at that point still there, half the season's done. And you still don't have a loss on your record. And so I think that while it would still be unlikely at that point, I think that's when you start talking about it, is right at that 6-0 and point where you say, okay, Kansas has – has already played three conference games. It's undefeated in those conference games, undefeated for the season. In one of the road games already out of the way, you know, it, it's it's time to start talking about this Kansas team in a very different vein within the Big 12 than maybe what we thought we would heading into the season. We talked about in the preseason the idea with Jalen Daniels, like could he be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12? Could he even be a top-three quarterback in the Big 12? And part of that wasn't just what we saw from Jalen last year. It was not having a lot of certainty returning at some of the other quarterback positions in the conference. But after seeing some of those other quarterbacks now in the Big 12 for three weeks of action and after seeing the numbers that Jalen Daniels is putting up, where, if you had to ballpark it, do you think would Jalen Daniels rank for you among Big 12 quarterbacks? Right now he's number one. And, wow. and I think that there, there are a lot of people that you know might say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But when, when you look at, at what he brings, when you look at his talent level, the way that he impacts the game both as a thrower and as a runner with the way that he leads the team, with the way that he's able to avoid sacks, extend plays, you know, all of those different things, he's he's number one right now. And I do think that, you know, that answer could change in a few weeks. You know, Max Duggan had a terrific second game, and it was against Harlequin State, and he didn't really start their opener. And so that's all that TCU's played. And so we aren't really sure, hey, is Max Duggan this guy now? Or is, you know, was that just sort of a one-game flash? Dylan Gabriel's been very good at Oklahoma. I don't know, as crazy as it sounds, if he's as gifted as Jalen Daniels is in certain areas. I think the one that I would kind of circle and say, keep an eye on this one to to change your opinion here, it would be Quinn Ewers, right? Because Quinn Ewers, when you look at what he did early against Alabama, small sample size, yes. But the weapons that Ewers has in that Texas offense, when he comes back, if he's playing with that level of confidence, 
making those kinds of throws, playing, you know, with that sort of looseness and accuracy, I, I think Ewers might wind up being the best quarterback in the Big 12. But through three weeks, it, it's Jalen Daniels. Okay, so if we just move down, like continuing off maybe things that we were thinking prior to the start of the season, areas of or positions for KU that could have been their strengths, or I remember talking in the preseason, it was, can this unit just not be the worst in the Big 12? So if we go like across the board here for KU, offense or defense, like what other position group to you sticks out right now to where you would say, yeah, that might be a top three, that might be a, or, or for sure feels like a top half unit uh, among their position in the Big 12? I think the obvious one is is running back. But, and I think we thought that might be the case before mm-hmm. the season started. But the other one I got to jump out at, just because I, I feel bad not mentioning it, is Derek, that offensive line has been terrific. And I think that that's another group that when you look at it, it, it does look like a top half of the Big 12 offensive line. When you look at all the different things that they're able to do, when you look at having, you know, at least at the college level, a quote-unquote franchise left tackle in Earl Bostic. When you look at Mike Nowitzki, I think, is having an all-Big 12 season. I mean, it, it seems like when you look at a lot of Kansas's positive plays, if you forget about the ball and just say, okay, what winds up creating this play? A lot of times it's Nowitzki and Jared Casey. And if you follow those guys – that's where the that's where you're going to find success, and, and I think the other guys have been really good too. I do think running back is probably it probably grades out a little higher, you know, in, in terms of of that group, and it, it's so deep, and it feels like every single player has had positive moments in that group. When you look at the fact that they bring Tory Lachlan in against Houston and, and connect on a really long touchdown pass, and Tory Lachlan at least. You know, for depth chart purposes, isn't one of your top four running backs, and so I think the depth, the ability of that group, and everything—that's the one that I would circle, probably put an exclamation point next to, and say this is this is a top three to five group in the Big Twelve. When you look at the defensive side of the ball and some of the early struggles that they've had in in games here. Overall, you give up 30 to West Virginia, over 40, or, or over 40 West Virginia, 30 to Houston. Um, how much, I guess, trust would you have in the defense moving forward? Like, does the offense continue have to uh, put up just ridiculous numbers for them to win games? Or do you think they can get by if the offense does have a game where they can only score, you know, 27, 28 points that the defense can kind of come around? Yeah, I think the defense is going to start improving. And, you know, I, I think that one of the things that, that makes that group tough to project is the fact that there are so many new faces and so many guys in new roles and all of those different things. But at the same time, you're, you're seeing something that I don't know that I've seen in a while, Derek. And what I mean by that is, you're seeing a group that's trusting the guy next to him, right? And on defense, that's that's so important. You can't have guys who say, okay, my responsibility is A-gap, and then I also need to cover for B-gap because I don't trust that my teammate isn't going – I don't trust that my teammate is going to do his job over there. Even when Kansas 
has had some issues. There hasn't been, you know, finger pointing. There haven't been guys then saying, oh, my gosh, they blew up a big play. I better go freelance and make a big play for our team. I, I think that the trust is there. I think the chemistry is going to continue to get better as those guys play more and more. We saw Craig Young, you know, having more and more success. You know, Lonnie Phelps has had a really good year so far. I think against West Virginia, one of the things that, that people maybe aren't mentioning as much with Kansas not having a lot of pressure in that game was how quickly West Virginia was getting the ball out. And so it wasn't necessarily a game where you were going to have four or five sacks. And, and I think that the other pieces, you know, Caleb Sampson's been really good. I don't want to name every player on the defense, but I do think that there are pieces there that are, you know, looking at this point like they're going to be higher-end pieces. And I think the the fact that they trust each other as they get used to playing with each other, as they get their timing down, they get their assignments down, and, and all of those things, I think you'll see fewer busts. And I think one of the things that we've seen with this defense so far is the fact that they haven't actually been that bad defensively outside of those busts. And I know that... That sounds like saying, you know, you know, the whole if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> but at the same time, like, how many times, I mean, Nick, Derek, have we seen a Kansas defense just get absolutely gored 15 yards at a time and not look competitive at all? And in this case, you know, you have a defense that is performing well most of the time, I feel like, on a, on a play-by-play basis. But then they do have the odd breakdown, and I think as they get used to each other and, and everything else, those breakdowns may become fewer and fewer. Okay, so this is kind of a off-the-beat question uh, a little bit. I, I feel like Baylor would be the obvious answer here because um, it's obviously them and Kansas are the projected top two teams in, in the basketball side of things, and Baylor's a contender on the football side of things. So I won't let you pick Baylor here. You can pick someone else. <laughs> And you can figure out however you want to justify this question. You can justify it based on, you know, combined total record. You can base it on uh, what you just kind of think is the best combination. Or you can just say, well, one is so dominant that it carries the other. Whatever. What combination of football and men's basketball Big 12 school do you think will wind up having the best 2022 to 2023 season? I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was Texas. And I I think Texas is... There, there are probably you know four or so teams that feel like, hey, they're legitimately Big 12 title contenders right now, and I think Texas is in that discussion. I don't know that Texas is right there as far as basketball. Like you said, I do think Baylor and Kansas are kind of a step ahead, but then you look at, at the next one, and it's kind of TCU and Texas right there, and the thing that I would say about that is TCU is not used to being in that spot, one. And two, Chris Beard's teams, if you go back and look, when he has a returning core, when guys come back, when he's not, you know, just hitting the reset button on his roster, they wind up having more successful seasons. And I, you know, that sounds obvious. But at the same time, you know, you look at the 2018 squad and they carried over guys from that previous year. You look at the 2019 squad that went to the national title game. And that was the squad that carried over Culver and different guys from that 2018 team. And I think as much as we all fell in love with all the transfers and everything for Texas at basketball last year, 
that lack of cohesiveness really didn't help them at all. But now when you have Marcus Carr coming back, you've got Timmy Allen coming back, Dylan DeSue, um, Christian Bishop, with all those guys coming back and you just fitting in pieces at, at certain other spots, I think Texas is probably looking at being a top three or so basketball school and potentially being a, a Big 12 title game contender as well. Okay, so KU takes on Duke on Saturday. They also play Duke in the Champions Classic in basketball. Uh, which number is higher? KU touchdowns scored against Duke on Saturday or three-pointers made by just the KU starters against Duke in basketball? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Because I, I do think that, that Kansas is going to score against Duke. And so if you wind up, you know, having five or, or seven, you know, it, it gets a little hairier. I'm still going to go with, with three-pointers by, by starters, though. I feel like in Champions Classic, a lot of times we see sort of these young guys pop. It seems like there's a different Kentucky guy who just flame throws every year. Um, and, and I think that when you look at, at that game and the matchups and all of that stuff, I, I think that Duke is probably going to sag off DeJuan Harris, so he's probably going to have a few. I don't know that I think Zach Clements is going to start and probably get a chance to walk into a, through a few. And then I, I think Grady Dick has a, a chance to pull, you know, a Quentin Grimes from, you know, what we saw against Michigan State a few years ago where – he comes out and, you know, he's not the number one option. You're prepared to face all these other guys, and, and he winds up getting some good looks and, and knocking them down. And so I think I'll go with basketball on that one. More Rich Miller tackles against Duke or Ernest Uday, <laughs> Zuby Edgefer, and K.J. Adams rebounds against Duke? Oh, that's – this is just brutal. Like, this, this is <laughs> – this is a tough deal because, it, you know, it's one thing if you gave me, you know, the the chalkboard and Goodwill hunting and I could try and, you know, come up with some calculus, but being on the spot, um, I, I think I'm going to go with Rich Miller tackles because I, I think he's going to have eight plus or so. And I think that when you look at it being a big game, I, I think Zuby and uh, – Zuby and Ernest Uday will will get some rebounds, but I don't know that it's going to be eight plus between those guys. Especially if Clements is playing well, you know he may wind up playing twenty five, thirty minutes or so, and that just may not give them the uh, the chance to catch up in that. All right, last one: KU football tackles for loss against Duke or dunks by KU. Ooh, that, that's another good one. So I am actually going to go with tackles for loss on this one because, for one thing, you know, Duke is going to have Derek Lively. You know, his, arguably his best talent is his shot blocking. He has a seven foot six wingspan. And, and even beyond that, you know, one of your post positions is, is filled by Jalen Wilson, who isn't necessarily, you know, a huge dunker or whatever else. Zach Clements, if he plays, not necessarily in starts, isn't necessarily a a huge dunker as well, and so I I think that uh, I think the KU defense is going to wind up with with more tackles for loss than uh, than the KU basketball team has dunks against Duke. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work twenty four seven Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time. 
Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. By the way, there's a high-level uh, college recruit who's making his announcement known tonight. In, That's uh, right, Derek. I'm going to make my announcement. I our number one team, the number one team, number one recruit, number one team in the country, and my announcement is coming tonight. Mm. I don't know if it's Tyson, Tayson, Chapman. He's expected to go to Ohio State, but Kansas is on the list, so I guess keep an eye on it, but. Don't be expecting big things necessarily, but he's top 35 recruit in the country. Uh, so KU is going to continue to have to deal with some of the Lance Leipold's rumors and links to Nebraska. And if there are other big jobs that come up, like, who knows? It might not just be Nebraska, right? But this comes from Bruce Feldman today of The Athletic, who is very, very plugged in. So things that Bruce report on are usually very... Uh, very accurate to say the least. And he updated the initial list of Nebraska candidates and whatnot today and tweeted out that Nebraska is kind of, they, they have three coaches who, at least for them, are leading the way in terms of the guys they're most interested in. And those three would be Lance Leipold, Matt Campbell, and Bill O'Brien, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Alabama. That's not great. Now, there are other coaches on this list, too, that are mentioned. Chris Kleiman, Jake Dickard at Washington State, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, Mickey Joseph, the interim head coach, which at this point, that ain't happening. Uh, Bronco <laughs> Mendenhall, the former Virginia and BYU head coach. He's taking a year off this year. Matt Rule, who at some point seems to probably be fired by Carolina, but was really good in the college game. Gary Patterson, who's currently a special assistant at Texas, but he's like 62 years old, so... I don't know. That feels like that would be a, a little past. Jim Leonard, who's the Wisconsin defense coordinator. But again, that they are seemingly for them, their top three are Leipold, Matt Campbell, and Bill O'Brien. That doesn't make you feel great. Because the whole idea of would Lance Leipold end up the next coach at Nebraska, we've kind of talked about that. It, it It's not a for sure thing that he would take the job, but it would be hard to turn it down for any coach. You see the the height and the potential that you could have in Nebraska. You could be pay, getting paid two or three times the amount of money. There'd be more money for the facilities. We know the fan base is super supportive. They keep selling out even when they haven't been very good. It's a bigger stadium already. They have more money to play around with for NIL. They're in the Big Ten where you know that that's going to be a the, like the opposite of a sinking ship, like the Pac-12. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons that you would accept the job, but the question was, well, would Nebraska offer it to someone else before they offered it to Lance Leipold? The fact that he would be listed in the top three for them strongly indicates that not many guys would have to say no if any guys, I don't know, maybe it would just be only one person in front of him. Who knows? where he would rank among those top three, if that is true, for him to take the job, and that is very scary from a KU perspective. It's definitely scary, and like we've outlined, this is one of those discussions that if you expected Lance Leipold to be good at KU, if you expected him to be the guy to turn the program around, 
you figured you were going to have to have these conversations. Maybe not this quickly. And, and again, I feel like with this Nebraska situation, obviously Lance Leipold has ties there. He was an assistant at Nebraska-Omaha for a while. He knows the area and, and things like that. So I think that's why this is ha- – like it's. I think I mentioned this last week. It's like a bad timing situation where it's like the one – big-time job that Lance Leipold has ties to and probably would potentially be interested in in taking happens to be the big-time job that's open right now, which is Nebraska, right? Like, if if Michigan fired Jim Harbaugh, I don't think there would be any Lance Leipold to Michigan talk, really, that much. Or, I, I don't know, if Ohio State got rid of Ryan Day or if, uh, I, I don't know, something like, you know what I mean? So it's it's just, it's it's like the ultimate bad timing award for KU fans, at least. It's like... Finally, you're starting to turn something around, and then like the one job that theoretically you would think Lance Leipold would have interest in is is Nebraska. And now it's open, and now every week that KU keeps winning and Nebraska keeps losing, every week now it seems like it's become our regular talking point on Mondays and Tuesdays. Is what's the, what's what's going on there, right? Which is which is frustrating because I you know I I don't think any probably Lance Leipold is the guy that wants to talk about it the least. I mean he's he seems like the type of coach that is very committed to whatever situation he's in. And he made that clear last week during his press conference when he got asked about it. Nobody asked him about it this week. But it's still something that's pressing, obviously. It's a pressing issue. And it's probably going to continue to be as long as that job remains open. Absolutely. And, again, like uh, we honestly wouldn't have talked about it until there was the report brought up. Now, you're right. Nobody asked him about it at the KU press conference, which I, I talked about this last week. I, I don't mind at all because what is he going to say? He's yeah, going to either yeah. – uh, you're going to be in a situation where, as you're a coach and you're asked that, you're either going to just say no comment, basically, or you're going to lie. We're on to Duke. You, exactly. So just, We're on to Iowa State. You know, the question's pointless to be asked. We're on to TCU. Ryan Leaf, though, who, you know, former NFL quarterback, uh, he's now doing a bunch of stuff in the media world. I think he's on one of the, the serious XM, like college football uh, worlds, and, and this is one of his own shows where he kind of goes around and talks to some of these different coaches and Lance Leipold was on his show and he specifically kind of, I don't know. It wasn't specific to ask about like, I, I don't want to just play the quote here. Cause I think you need the full context. The question here from Ryan leaf. Isn't just, are you going to take the Nebraska job? Like it's not that, <laughs> that point blank. It's more so just kind of an open-ended question about like dealing with the, your name being mentioned exactly. with other jobs. So here is the full quote, the question from Ryan Leaf, and the answer from Lance Leipold. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. When, when you become successful, like you have throughout your career, there's always another opportunity. Your name has been brought up for other jobs already because of how successful you've been. How do you handle things like that, especially when you're trying to build something uh, in, in, the, in the culture and the, the, the days of now NIL? and the portal and everything like that as a head coach of these young men? Yeah, just like anything, I think you have to stay in the moment, be where your feet are at. Uh, you know, my wife Kelly and I, we, we came to Lawrence, Kansas not to move. You know, if uh, this stage of our career, uh, it's flattering. Um, you know, it's like you said, it's early, it's early in the season, <laughs> but our focus is trying to build the Kansas Jayhawks into a winner and a consistent winner for the long haul. Okay, so a couple key things in that quote. Again, if we base it on the question, it wasn't him directly saying the Nebraska thing. But the part in there, and KU fans are already taking it and running with it, which I I understand why. (laughs) That's very exciting, right? Yeah, Twitter's running with it, for sure. The idea that, hey, we came here not to move. I mean, that's a direct quote in there. 
That's a, it is a pretty strong quote. That is a very strong quote. It's pretty strong. And that's not something that, like when I look at quotes and you're, you're trying to kind of read tea leaves and read between the lines and whatnot, that's not something that Ryan Leaf asked as part of the question. Like, hey, were you planning on moving when you got the KU job? Like, he didn't have to offer that part up. So that probably speaks very well to the idea that, yes, when he came to KU, when he decided to take this job, he intended it on being his final job. I think that's kind of what that is telling me. Which maybe that might be your intention when you first take exactly. it, but it definitely, you know, it could change. Exactly. Things change. So I, I'll say that. Like, I think that is the intention there. But you're right. I don't necessarily think that just automatically puts you in the clear to say if you're Kansas where you're like, oh, see, he's never going to leave. <laughs> because you're right. I don't think in his mind he ever – Maybe not in his mind he ever thought he could get the job, but eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, I am like a mid-50s to a later 50s coach. I just got my first Power 5 job. Of course I'd love to get the Nebraska job, but I just, at this point in my career, like, I'm not expecting it to come. Yeah. But now it might have worked out that way. And so for when that situation actually arises, if you do get offered that job and all those other perks we talked about, it's a whole nother situation to where, yeah, when we did take the job, we did have that intent, but we could have never thought that this situation would arise. Maybe it is him saying that that he's going to stick around. Maybe it's not. But I just, I think we're better off just not really taking anything that's like said too, too, to, seriously. exactly, yeah. because again, like things change, they're fluid situations. We've seen it a lot in college football. We've seen, I, I mentioned the Lincoln-Riley situation last year where it was, uh, we talked about this last week. The, I'm, not, I'm not talking to USC. Yeah, he's like, not talking is. to USC. My agent is. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, it, like the next day, he's hired by USC because <laughs> again, it was his agent, but he just said, "I'm not talking to USC." So, like, we we see this all the time with college coaches. You're not just going to come out and say, "I'm not." You know, I'm I'm interested in the job. If if I get offered, I'm going to take it because that you you have nothing to benefit from doing that. So that is a good quote for him possibly wanting to stay and, and stick around. And I think it does show the loyalty and the interest that he does have in building a long-term winner at KU. It's just the fact that for all we know, Nebraska is his dream job and has all these great things to offer. Now, if you do get by this Nebraska job, probably makes you feel even better that like, yeah, the intent here is for him to stick around. Yeah, If Nebraska hires literally anybody else, mm -hmm. I think it's you're over the moon. If you're KU, because like I said, I, I think, I mean, you know, maybe if KU ends up going, doing really well over the next couple of years, but like, it just so happens that this Nebraska job is the one job that Lance Leipold has ties to. He's from the area or he's been in the area and whatnot and things like that. You know, like I said, if Michigan fired Jim Harbaugh tomorrow, I don't think Lance Leipold was, would be on the top three of Michigan. Mm -hmm. Or whatever other job, right? So, but maybe down the road, if if KU strings together like, you know, two or three or four, you know, seven and five, eight and four, nine and three seasons, they're making big bowl games, they're be, they're competing for Big Twelve titles. In three or four years, maybe if a job like Michigan or maybe even Nebraska again, right? Because you never know, you never know, comes open, then maybe he might do it at that point. But yeah, I, I think if 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 he doesn't, if Nebraska hires somebody else. You're over the moon if you're KU for at least the next couple of years. Yeah. So good development. Which I think is really all you can everything. ask for. Yeah, exactly. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. We're going to hear the rest of what Lance Leipold had to say. It is media availability earlier today. That on the other side.